friends, Zach Evanish here coming at you. Another episode of the Strong Life Podcast. This is episode 225, and this has been an episode that's been a long time coming. It's been with somebody who, when I just think about him, when I just mention his name in my mind or to others, he makes me want to be a better person. Better not just at coaching, but better human. Talking about Donnie Pritzloff, he's the head associate wrestling coach over at Rutgers University. He's a four-time All-American wrestler, two-time national champ, took third in the world championships sometime in the early 2000s, I think 06 or so, and just one of the most awesome coaches I've ever been able to work with. And just as a friend, whenever I would speak with him about training and life and just passion and intensity, we always could just talk for hours. So I'm really excited to bring you this episode. We really go back to his early childhood years of wrestling, what changed his life about wrestling, the coach and the mentor in his life that inspired him beyond words, tough times he went through as a kid. We speak about college training and just really the intricacies and the and the deeper parts of coaching that you just can't really see on the surface and you can't even really understand when you're new to coaching. It's something that takes a really long time and <clears throat> ironically Donnie has been in in college coaching for 18 years since 2002 and that was when I really got into the full time of strength and conditioning. I just I can't even say enough good things <clears throat> about this episode. I'll probably listen to it many times over myself. Uh, that's it guys. I know you're going to love the show. It goes over an hour. I try to keep these episodes to 45 minutes. I believe Donnie and I chatted for an hour and 20 minutes and, uh, I hope everybody's being uh, healthy out there, being safe, keeping up with training right now. I'm going through a 30 day body weight challenge where I'm not touching a barbell. I'm still hitting some light kettlebells. So I guess it's not really a body weight challenge. Might even mess with the Bulgarian bag. Um, after speaking with Don, he just makes me want to get really intense with my training. He has that effect on people. And uh, for the strength coaches out there <clears throat> that have been reaching out, we've got the Strong Life Brotherhood. You go to slbrotherhood.com. That is my VIP coaching group for coaches, for entrepreneurs, <clears throat> and for men who are entrepreneurs who want to advance. You get in a group, you get the accountability, you get weekly lessons. I'm posting uh, fitness challenges in there that train your mind, that train your body, organizational lessons to help you own the day, and it's a powerful coaching group. It's very similar to these conversations I have with Donnie talking about having great training partners, having great coaches, and those are the very things that change your life. And that's what the Strong Life Brotherhood is about for coaches and entrepreneurs. Those of you who are just seeking the training knowledge, you got to go to the Underground Strength Coach Certification. Go to undergroundstrengthcert.com. I'm going to be editing that slightly so that you could get your full level one certification online. Level two will be in person, but level one will go online. I've changed and evolved and I've been broken by the internet. And uh, the only thing I'm adding to what's currently on there 
is you'll have to do a video coaching a few specific exercises as well as program design. You'll upload that video to uh, YouTube or Vimeo unlisted. And then if you uh, pass that, boom, you're in level one. All right, guys, go to undergroundstrengthcert.com, slbrotherhood.com for the strong life. And if you're missing out on the newsletter, go to zachstrength.com. Guys, time to crush it. Enjoy the show. I'm out. Okay, friends, what's going on? Zach Evanish here with another Strong Life podcast. I always say we've got a special guest, but this could be could be my favorite guest. This is my uh, friend and uh, former colleague at Rutgers, uh, head associate wrestling coach at Rutgers, Donnie Pritzloff. Donnie, what's up, my bro? What's up, Z? I'm I'm fired up to be on here. You know, it's been a while since you and I have been together, so this is uh, this, this is, is great. Fun. I know. I'm excited. I had so much, you know, working with you. I just posted on Instagram. It's like I, I've worked with so many coaches and been in different, you know, kind of circumstances and partnerships. And I don't know, working with you, I think we hit it off so much because of we have a lot of passion, a lot of intensity. Um, and it was just, yeah, it was just amazing. And really your story, you know, I've known, I guess what was interesting is I had known about you for so long because we're both Jersey guys, you know, your cousin Glenn Pritzloff was uh, a year under me, uh, but I had been back then when wrestling would be in the newspapers, I remember seeing like, oh man, look at this young Pritzloff winning a region title and then winning, I don't know, how many state titles did you win? Three? Yeah, three state titles. Same same thing with Glenn. I think Glenn won three, and and um, you were a four time All American at Wisconsin, which is, I mean, an All American is the dream, and then a four time All American, that's a, extremely rare to be happening at the university level, and I think it was even more rare back when you were competing at the college level. Now you know we're seeing some of the freaks, but back then it was different. So. We're going to get into it, my man. I want to talk about kind of in a semi-chronological order. Go back to the younger years. Um, you know, you were a, a product of this edge wrestling club, which back when I was in high school, it was edge wrestling club. And then we had the club I went to, which was Light Tower, which I didn't know was so different. I didn't know how you even get to Edge Wrestling Club. Do you need to get invited to go there? It's the secret club. But anybody who was there was just crushing people. And uh, when you and I were working together, you said that you're like, man, Ernie was almost like a second dad to you. You were there so much that he he was such a mentor. So I just want to talk about how you were brought into that world of the edge wrestling club and what was your experience? You know, how was it with him as your coach for so long? Yeah. I, I mean, uh, Ernie, like you said, he was like, like a second dad to me. He, and, and to, to so many of us, right. so to so many of us that, that went to, to the club. But, uh, I actually, I got started at, it was, I'm from Lynnhurst yep. and, just just across the river, you got Nutley and Belleville, and and Ernie was from that Essex County area, but Nutley, Belleville, the Clifton area, and he he originally started out of his house, and then when it started to expand, and he started to have more and more kids going to his club, he opened it up in uh, in Belleville. And so were was, you training uh, with him out of the house? Is that where you started? I I, I didn't start at his house. Okay. I, I didn't start at his house. I started at the the club in Belleville, and. 
I actually, I heard of the edge through kids in my town, the, the, the Sedembrino brothers that were, they grew up wrestling with me and, and they, they started going to the edge and Glenn started going. So it's, it turned into a place where kids from all over the state were going, you know, and, and Ernie kind of had, he basically had every, every good kid in the state was just, was starting to show up at his place because, uh, Carl and, and, uh, John had, had been so successful from, from training with Ernie. So by word of mouth, more and more guys than, than our dones were, yep. were from Belleville and, and they, they started doing well. And then just more and more people started to flock there because they saw that he had, he had ideas on how to be a successful wrestler and how he could advance your training and your technique and all this. And, and just slowly more and more guys just started gravitating there. And, and then, uh, you know, before you knew it, he, he got so big that he had to move out of there. And then, and then ended up uh, going to, to Kenilworth. Kenilworth. But yeah, and I, I remember being a kid though. When we were there, we were there at that building, you know, every night of the week, and we had classes, and 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 er- Ernie was just he was he was so far ahead of his time. You know, not, nowadays with the way the way videos are able to instantaneously just be sent out, and everybody can see a video and see and kind of break down. A good coach can break down. You know what what techniques going on in that video and what's happening in that match and what's happening in that position. Ernie was doing that. Um, so, so far ahead of his time and, and basically teaching us as little kids to evaluate video, evaluate, just watching wrestling, um, break down clips of matches. And, and because we, we, we were exposed to that at such a young age, I think that we were able to advance more than probably any other group of kids in the country at that time. It's um, how old were you when you started training there? I was in, I was probably nine. So I was probably in, was that third grade? I was, I was probably yeah. a third grader. I third, think third, yeah. fourth grade. So very young. Yeah. And was uh, Glenn going there also? Because that was a bit of a trip for where, from where he lived in Middletown area. Yeah. Glenn was, <clears throat> uh, Glenn was making the trip up. I remember uh, Glenn, but uh, Glenn was always he, he would always travel. He, he would travel for judo. He was traveling up to Cranford for judo. So they, they were they were used to that. They him and his brother they were really uh, dedicated into into the you know whatever sport they were doing, whether it was wrestling or judo, or they they were focused on trying to get the best training and the best coaching. So they were used to traveling. And and their their dad Jim he you know he would he would do whatever it took to make sure that uh, those guys were were around the right coaching and around the right people. To me, it's like environment is everything. And I think as this story unfolds, people listening, they'll start to kind of put together as we talk about the Cranford judo club. Um, So you at a young age, you're going there. Um, Your father is fathers with uh, Glenn and Odie's father. Is that how, is that the relationship? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Glenn, Glenn and Oates' dad is, is um, my dad's brother. Gotcha. What is your both of your father's background that they got you guys into the combative sports at such a young age? Because we're talking uh, the nineties, or so. If you were in third grade, was that even the nineties? I don't. Uh, you were, that was like in the eighties, right? Or yeah, that that was yeah. It was in, I was not. It was it was in the the late eighties. See, see, I, I would say 
what happened was my, my dad and, and Glenn, Glenn and O's dad, they, they were both, they're both from Jersey city. They went to Snyder high in Jersey city. There was no wrestling right. in, in their high school. So they were both you know, football players and basketball players. And, um, but they, they, uh, they got into wrestling just from reading, reading articles, reading amateur wrestling news way back in the day. And then in, in 1987, the NCAs were in Maryland. Okay. The wrestling, the wrestling was in Maryland, and my uncle, uh, my my uh, Glenn's dad's brother, and my dad's brother, he lived in Maryland. So, so we went down to uh, to the NCAs in, in College Park, and I was going for their tenth title at the time, and they they had a an X on their singlet, and it was going to be ten in a row, and Iowa State ends up picking them off and beating them. And we, we were at the NCAAs the whole time, and we just fell in love with it. Wow. So from, from that point, there was it, it was basically, you know, Glenn and I and Ode, all we wanted to do was wrestling. That's all we really wanted to do. And, and we were still we, – we played other sports. You know, we, Glenn and Ode were still into judo and basketball and baseball and football and all those, those other sports. But that was our, our main priority was how, how could we get better at wrestling. And then it kind of evolved into – Okay, our 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 dads don't really know much about this. They're, they they know about basketball and football, but so they they had to figure out what's what's the next best guy who's gonna who's gonna help these 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 kids get to the next level. And then then they found Ernie, and and that's kind of how it all it all helped us. Unfortunately for Ode, he was a little older at the time, right? So I don't think he he didn't have the same the same wrestling training that that Glenn and I did. Sure. It takes, it takes time. I mean, I didn't realize that you guys were doing this and I didn't realize that Ernie opened the edge in the eighties. You know, I started wrestling the summer of 89. It was the summer before high school started and light tower wrestling club had no instruction. It was just open mass. So people would say, Hey, you want to wrestle me? I had never wrestled. My brother had wrestled one year and so we, uh, through, through uh, mowing lawns and doing yard work, I bought um, the coach, uh, Carl, uh, what was it? his name was uh, Carl Adams. I bought his VHS yeah. tapes, and I tried to learn how to wrestle before I even joined the team from his VHS tapes. So we'd be drilling in the downstairs, uh, in the downstairs den, like on the carpet, trying to like throw headlocks and rolling through on headlocks. <laughs> And so um, what the big thing to me is like it almost sounds like I call this like you're trained as a young kid to be a gladiator. You're trained as a young kid like a samurai, these, you know, the Spartans at this young age. And sometimes I think nowadays you hear how it's like not good to be in this specialty in one sport. But I think the thing that I pick up from this, I want to hear what you think is. It's the mentality you learn from being in the environment. So Glenn wrestling, uh, going to judo, and Odie going to judo at Cranford Judo Club. The head coach there was the was from Japan, and he was the head judo coach for the Olympic team eighty eight ninety two. And um, we I've trained some guys from there, and they've been some of the toughest guys I've worked with. So you know, talk about what like the the things they instilled in you as a young kid that taught you the mentality you needed to be successful what were some of the things that they really taught you not the skills but the mindset stuff yeah i i, I think it, in in that in that club in in general i mean you, you ernie always talked about being tough you know be, that was like a 
a prerequisite. When you come in here, we're, we're, I'm going to teach you guys how to get better at wrestling, but the, the, the most important thing is you have to be tough. And, and he would he would basically brainwash us as, as little kids about toughness, about mental toughness, about being the toughest guy on the team, working the hardest on your team, um, you know, challenging the best partners in the room. And that, that was kind of the, the cult mentality that, that he created was – you know, making making sure that you know all the guys were, were striving to be the toughest guy in the room, and and that's that was something that you know at, at a young age Ernie started trying to develop that in our in our minds that you know you have to be the toughest guy, you have to be the guy that's everybody in the room is going to look at and and be the example for for everyone else. And I think when we had a group of guys that that wanted to be that, we had this this overwhelming population of really good, talented kids, but it wasn't about talent. It was about who was going to be the, the toughest guy in the room. And, and that's kind of how it all breeded that success of, of you know, having so many state finals, state finalists every year and you know, numerous state champions every year. And it just started at a young age with us being like that. And then I think, you know, from, from the upbringing that Glenn and I had was, you know, our, our, our fathers were just tough people. Our family's just a tough family. So it was, that was kind of the same message from our parents and how, how we grew up to now when we go to this club and we're going to train with these guys, the same message is being sent to us. So, um, kind of, it was kind of an easy, easy fit and we kind of went right into it and it ended up being a perfect marriage, I think for, for all of us, because, you know, it just, it was, it was, it was easy. It, it wasn't, it wasn't anything that it was foreign to us. It was about being the toughest guy in the room, and that's kind of what we always, what Glenn and I always talked about anyway with our parents. It was normal. That be, that yeah. became that became yes. your normal. This is also why I say, like, you know, I live in Manasquan, and they've been struggling with their wrestling, and um, <clears throat> it's like I tell the kids, I go, look, if you wrestle for Manasquan, and I don't care that I have to mention their name, I'm just stating the facts, I tell them. Um, the cards are stacked against you because everybody in that room is, is working so hard or, or you, you might be working so hard, but everybody else in the room, if they don't really care, it, it lowers, it lowers you. You feel like the oddball out that you're, that you're working so hard. So your culture and, and who you're surrounded with is crucial. So, you know, the eight, the late eighties, Donnie and the early nineties, there was really no – I mean there was strength and conditioning but not at the level where it was available. I mean gyms back then were bodybuilding gyms. So yeah. what was Ernie and what was your, your dad and your uncle? What kind of stuff did they give you guys with regards to tra- <clears throat> training? You know, We didn't call it strength and conditioning. We just called it training. We called it conditioning. So what were they giving you to get yourself physically strong as well as be tough? When, when, when we first started going to the edge, it wasn't, it, it was a lot of, uh, it was a lot of just wrestling training. You know, there wasn't, a, there wasn't a ton of conditioning. We did at the end of practice, we do a ton of stance. We do a ton of like wrestling specific work, yep. but there wasn't, Ernie wasn't like, I'm going to condition you to death. When you're here, we're going to, we're going to train. Yep. We're going to wrestle. We're going to work on technique. We're going to work on positions. And it was, it was really, um, like a wrestling specific training. Yes. Um, my, my dad was, you know, he, he was like you said, in, in the 80s and the 90s, he, he's a state trooper. He knew, he knew some things about lifting weights. You know, he knew about, you know, the basic stuff that probably 
you know, everybody knew back then was, you know, how to, how to get your back bigger and how to do bench pressing and squat, you know, your, your basic, your basic training, you know? And, and then, you know, when I got, I'm trying to remember the exact date because this, this would be important, but I I got to a certain point where I think it was, it was in the mid nineties or, and it might've been after my freshman year, I, I, you know, in high school, my freshman year in high school, I wasn't a state champ. And, and Ernie, Ernie noticed in me, he, he felt like I was a little bit physically, I was a little weak. Why were so, you cutting a lot of weight freshman year? You were a lightweight, I, I remember. Yeah, I was a 19 pounder my freshman year. Okay. And I, 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 cut, I cut a good amount of weight. I cut down, you know, just like probably, you know, most kids are doing that, you know, you're fighting against your body trying to grow. Right. And, and you're trying to lose weight and you're in the middle of the season. So it, it starts to, you know, affect, you know, affect you mentally a little bit, affect your, your physical performance and, and just, you know, Ernie noticed that in me. So he, um, he, he usually didn't do this kind of stuff because it was, it was kind of out of the norm for him, but he, he recommended me to start working with his father. Okay. So, so Mr. Monaco. So I started, I started working with Mr. Monaco. I think it was probably like. 94 around around that time and mr monaco was uh he he didn't he didn't really like wrestling all that much but he he was he was big in the gymnastics he loved gymnastics that was he felt like gymnastics was the the basis for all other sports it was it was the platform that everybody should start in and everything should start from gymnastics and and he uh he had the boys all his boys carl john rob and, and and Ernie, they all were doing special, special lifting from when they were young kids. And so I started going there basically every day after school, I'd be over there training. Where, at the club or to the house? No, this, this was at Mr. Monaco's house in Nutley. And, and what, what did he have, a, a wrestling and mat for you to do gymnastics work on? He, he, had, he had in his basement, he had pulley systems and pull-up bars with weighted pull-ups. He had <sighs> all – all sorts of like really way ahead of your time training. Um, we, I would do, I would do, you know, weighted pull-ups with pulleys though. It wasn't with like, um, dumbbells hanging off. Right. It was, uh, I was doing like hip crashes where if guys were shooting on me, so then I'd be like pulled from by, from my hip back and, you know, kind of learning how to like crash my hips into the guy. So my, my sprawl would be more powerful. Right. My shot would be more powerful because I was hitting shots with, with pulleys and, and things attached to me. So he, um, he had this, you know, way forward thinking idea of how to, how to train people. And he would, you know, monitor all my lifting and, and, and he was really on top of everything. And then I think from there, I, I physically, I developed a lot, a lot faster. And, um, you know, that's, that was basically thanks to Ernie, you know, recommending me to his dad. And his dad didn't really like doing that kind of stuff. There was very few people that were lifting in there. Who and, else? Uh, who else was in there with him? What other guys? There, it it was it was myself. It was I don't know if you remember Eric Swick. He was from uh, Roselle Park. Okay. He was uh he was he was about my age. I think we were he might have been a year younger than me. All right. And a little lighter than me. And then, um, you know the. There was a kid from Union that was a baseball player. His last name's Ferroni, and uh, Mr. Monaco had different different setups for him. You know, he was you know for throwing, you know how he's sure. going to throw his fastball and like his yeah. shoulder and his elbow, and so he was. Uh, I mean, I, I still think he's like a 
he's a little bit like a genius kind of and way ahead of his time for, you know, nowadays you see people doing things with bands and, and shots, shots with bands and the shots sled and all this kind of stuff. And, and that's, that's all great. But I think he was way ahead of his time. That was 30 years ago. He was doing it. Yeah. Yeah. 30 years ago, he was, he had, you know, all these, these crazy setups and I wish I could get, get back over there. I don't even know if they, I don't think they still live in that same house, but that, right. that basement and how it was all set up. And it was just, uh, it was incredible for, for me, you know, the flexibility and the, and the strength that I, that I got from that was, was, was just unbelievable. You know, right. so, so that really helped me. That really helped me jump to the next level, you know, throughout my, my, uh, my high school career. And then, into into college, I was already, I was physically very strong. I was right. physically very strong, and it what it was, it was a lot of um, training where I was training a lot of the smaller muscles too. I wasn't just training like the your major muscles. Like that what were you doing? Meaning, like so for uh, the people, you know, I'm going to give another an intro before this, but you wrestled at Wisconsin, yeah, which um, <clears throat> they were always in the Big Ten, correct? Yeah, yeah, ten. So you're there, and uh, what what do you mean you were training the smaller muscles? Ernie's dad, Mr. Monica, was training you that way, or you kind of started doing things on your own at, through high school to train? No, it, Mr. Mr. Monica was he he was big on everything because he, he wasn't like okay, your biceps got to be strong, right? It's your biceps going to be strong, but what's around it that's that's attaching to your bicep that's going to help you when you get in on a single leg and you have to suck that leg in. You know, what are the muscles that are going to help? So we would basically recreate, re- recreate that position of being extended on a single leg. And then how are you going to pull that in with, with resistance? So then when you get in there, that that's going to, that's going to transfer to the actual composite competition, you know? And, and that's what he was always talking about was what's the transfer. Dude, how, when, it's amazing. How, you know, when you're, when you're on bottom and there's weight on top of you, how can you explode to your feet quick enough? You know, what, what can I develop to, to help you firing up to your feet better. So he, what he did he develop to, for like bottom for, wrestling for that? It was, uh, you know, people, he'd have people pushing down on me, but there'd also be pulleys on my, my hands firing <laughs> my elbows back. So he was, he was constantly like tinkering. He was like an engineer, you know? Right. Was, uh, well, um, the, the things that you're saying, I have a lot of old books, you know, I always used to tell you that, but some of the old Russian manuals I have, um, from, uh, 70s, they had drawings of these pulley systems. So if you were a javelin thrower, you'd have a pulley attached to your arm and you would step and throw repeatedly. Um, and so I wonder if he had come across, you know, the original book was called uh, secret of Soviet sport and fitness yeah. training. Then it yeah. became secret of Russian um, sports training. And that book was written before I was born. I think it was written in 72. So here he is training you at, in the late eighties and just, you know, way ahead of his time. So what's crazy is that book was written in 72. Think about how many decades it took to actually get to semi mainstream in America. Yeah. You know, that being said though, Donnie, you know, um, when you were in uh, high school, I'm a little older than you, you know, Russia was really just dominating and destroying. And now there's more countries um, really challenging Russia. America is obviously challenging the Russians, but also some places that don't have good training like uh, Cuba 
and even um, I don't know. In, so Cuba is very high up there, and um, some of these like smaller Russian states now, like um, um, Azerbaijan, like little places. So it's also interesting to say like, what if they don't have the fancy stuff? They're still developing some very great wrestlers, right? Yeah, you know, you go to if you go to Cuba and you take a look at their weight room. It's there's horrible. no yeah, it's like there, a torture cell. Yeah, there's no there's nothing nothing fancy about that at all. A lot of it's it's uh, a climbing rope. It's Dip it's bars, a it's a bars. bar. Yeah. yeah, it's a couple bars with uh, so you know some some weights on them. But the probably the you know the best way to get strong in your sport is to, sport. to do your sport. You know, do your sport and and perfect the positions and get strong in those positions and and you know those guys down in cuba they get away with a lot of just uh climbing ropes and body weight work and and basically training really hard in 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 their sport in their sport and that's you know people ask me about like kyle dake hey zach what do you think about his new training program i'm like look Kyle Dake was a four-time national champ in four different weight classes where he couldn't even redshirt and so he must have been strong. Wrestling makes you so strong. And um, he also had a foundation. You know, I know when they interviewed him for Spartan Up, he said his favorite exercise was paracleans. And so once you develop like a base of strength, you know, you and I have seen this. There's some guys that could – they kill the weight room, but then they they don't have the transfer to wrestling. Like yeah. what, like what you were saying, Mr. Monica was saying. How can I transfer this training to your wrestling? So, what happened when you got to Wisconsin, and now you're not training with Mr. Monica's, not your trainer? What was did the? I think was back then a lot of times the wrestling coaches did the strength work. Am I right? Yeah, yeah. We had uh, we had Troy Steiner who was our strength coach. Oh, and he, the Iowa guy, the twins. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. So he he. Um, he was the, he was lighter than than Terry. Terry was uh, one of the coaches on staff, and and Troy was the strength coach. But you know the the, the strength coaches back then it was it, it was it was different. It was it, everything was different. It wasn't so specialized. So right. you know they would they would put us through circuit training. Um, <clears throat> I remember which you I, told me so you couldn't like touch your hair. <laughs> your uh, arms. Yeah, yeah. We, we they would put us through these uh, these crazy circuit training workouts that were, were so so different than what I was used to doing uh-huh so to me that was exciting because okay. it was like a totally different challenge but some guys don't um, like that or at least today you know kids come in with their own ideas and try telling you the coach how they need to be trained it's, yeah it's very yeah. different yeah i think you know for, for me it was you know if I, especially especially if for like a kid that's that's going to you or going to a strength gym, you, you chose that strength gym. You chose that coach. So shouldn't you have trust in them that they know how to, how to train you? So you basically, yeah, you can ask questions and you can, you could have, I have some ideas, but the reality is they're the experts. So you should be listening to what they're saying. So that was kind of my approach. Right. When I got there was, Hey, gotcha. but, but these guys, I, I picked to come here to be with these guys and to learn from, from these guys. So, Whatever they tell me to do, I'm going to do. He and must have if, brought that crazy Iowa outwork everybody uh, yeah. style. Yeah, yeah, and that was their that was their whole mentality was you know they're they're going to train you to to put you in situations and positions that 
hopefully you'll never get to in a match. So, so you know you've been there and you can get through it and you can, you could fight through anything. So they would put us through these crazy circuits. And like I told you, and, and you obviously remember that was, that, you know, <laughs> our, our arms would be so exhausted after these circuits that we'd go take a shower and we couldn't even, we couldn't even wash our hair because we couldn't lift our arms up anymore. So, you know, it was, it was just like high, high intensity and like to failure. And yeah, and, and yeah, if you probably looked at that and evaluated, you, some people would be like, I don't think that's probably, and then turn around and wrestle at, at three o'clock and you're doing that at six in the morning. That's probably not, you know, the most ideal circumstances, but you know, we, I believed in it and it, it worked for me, you know, you think so that I, I was think, you know, the belief was a big part of it. Were any, um, was the belief a big reason why you think it worked just because you believed? Yeah, I think that's a that's a big part of just about anything. Right. And that's kind of that's kind of my point of the whole thing. If I'm coming to you and I'm working out at your gym, that means I, I I've made the commitment to believe in what you're going to tell me to do. So when you tell me to do something, I'm going to do it 100 percent. And 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 that that's going to, that's going to carry over to, yeah, I'm doing it and I'm getting strong, but I also believe in what I'm doing. I'm not doing it questioning every little move I make. And I think nowadays there is so much out there. There's so much YouTube. There's so much, you know, this guy's doing this. And like you said, Kyle Dake does it this way. And this guy, so I do think that kids nowadays and guys nowadays can get lost in the shuffle a little bit because there is so much input out there. But I think, any system can work if you believe in it and and you follow through and you continue to work at it. Right. If you don't believe, though, it's like it doesn't matter how good or how perfect things are. And that's why, like, um, somebody uh, said whatever uh, – I don't know how what it's called. They tweet at you and um, there's a kid from uh, Texas uh, – you know, I don't, I don't even know – I don't really – I only kind of follow the kids we train, but I'm pretty sure he was like the number one kid in the nation. I think he's going to go to Oklahoma. Yeah, um, yep, I know. Yeah, he's like uh, very heavy and very big into lifting. And the technique is, you know, questionable. That's what I say. And the guy was like, damn, what do you think of this? I was like, do I agree with the way he's training? No, but here's the bottom line. The the kids, I think, supposedly like one of the best kids in the high in country high school. He yeah. he believes in it, and because he believes in it, now he just it gives him the mental edge that is so crucial to win. Because if if you don't believe, I don't care how good the whole training camp is or the coaches are, it doesn't matter. The big then here comes the ultimate question: is when he gets to Oklahoma or wherever I think he committed to. Can he be coachable? Can he, you know, is is he going to be open to whatever they're doing, whatever that strength coach is doing and, you know, uh, what's healthiest for the kid and whatnot? And I guess it brings me to our next topic. You and I spoke about this all the time was, and we're kind of speaking about it now, was like the training, even when it's not perfect, like what you were experiencing at Wisconsin, uh, sometimes the perfect training, you know, is uh, – is no good. It's, it's so perfect. And I think you told me, um, me, you may have been, uh, you've been at Wisconsin, Michigan, and I I forgot you were at Hofstra as well. Um, I think you guys were recruiting a kid somewhere and you said a kid had come from somewhere that was like very blue collar and you guys had gotten a new facility and the kid didn't was like afraid it was just going to be too perfect. Yeah. 
Yeah, that, that's that's hundred percent true. So that also was um, I don't know what year that was, but now you know all facilities, <clears throat> football, wrestling, um, baseball, the big sports are now getting these monster facilities. You know, Lehigh got it when I was there, and I remember how it was helping recruiting. Um, so you're such an old school blue collar guy. How are you doing with you know the beautiful facilities and all that stuff? How like it's good. What, what do you, what do you do to offset it and, and keep that blue collar mentality in there? Yeah, that is, that is tough because you, you want to have, you want to have the bells and whistles. You want to have the beautiful facility. And, and like you're saying, and it does, it, it attracts, it attracts more talent. It shows a commitment. I yes. think that's probably, that's probably the biggest thing I see is it, it shows for our program. It shows that our administration and the university and the, and the department is 100% behind wrestling. Right. They, they spent all this money to build this place because they believe in what we do. So I think that's probably the biggest, the biggest piece to the whole thing. Now, yeah, the, the, thing's, the thing's gorgeous and it's nice, but the, the, the bottom line is you, you, have to, you have to train. You have to train. You have to train hard. You, you still have to exhaust yourself. You still have to overextend yourself. You know, so I think that's that's the the motto. That's still you know the the, the protocol that that we're calling for. Whether it's strength strength and conditioning, whether it's just doing conditioning on your own, whether it's riding a, a bike on your own, whether it's in in the wrestling room. Yeah, you have more space. Good. Now you can wrestle even harder. So you know, it's having the nice facility that that does nothing for you. You know, it's really it's that's okay. That's great, but. It doesn't matter. Like we were just talking about with Cuba. Cuba has probably the the worst facilities <laughs> in the entire in in the entire world. Right. And and their guys their guys are animals. You know, you look at you look at their the way they compete and the way they wrestle. Those those guys are really good. How did those guys turn the corner? Because when you know Russia has always been on top uh certain places have always been up there why do you think cuba turned the corner what happened there um you know i i said that's a really good question i i don't i i think i think the cubans for a long time have been have been a, a very um respectable respectable freestyle program i don't know much about their their greco program i right. i don't know i don't know how long they because i know they've had some really some studs recently in Greco, especially the heavyweight, but, um, freestyles, they've always, they've always been respectable. And then I don't know if it's maybe, maybe cause there's been more exposure. Maybe there's, you know, the U S team has been going down to Cuba now since, right. you know, the, since, uh, the early two thousands. So maybe because more and more teams are getting down there, maybe there's more funding. You know, I don't really know. You know, it's still, it's still a, kind of a, a problem down there politically with how everything gets gets done you see a lot of the the cubans still defecting out of, out of that that country so i don't know i don't know if it was maybe because they, they've loosened some of the restrictions and more they, they have more exposure but you definitely see better guys you know coming out of there more often than you know just a few guys here and there maybe the when, older guys are now <clears throat> i saw something a while ago maybe a year ago they had they were showing like their youth program and it was big numbers. It was a lot of kids. Yeah. So it could be like you. They started you 
when you were young. Um, let, yeah. me, let me ask you this quick question. I, I wasn't even thinking of it, but now we're on the everything shut down because of the coronavirus. Um, what's you know? What are the kids? What are the kids from Rutgers doing? What's the message for those kids because they have to now do stuff on their own? And um, in this where we are in the year twenty twenty. Um, some kids know how to do stuff on their own, but we also at every university, all sports have a lot of kids that have only worked with coaches. And so now they might be lost. They don't know what to do. So what's kind of been the message or advice or what do you see your own guys? What are they doing without you guys? Yeah, they're, they're, uh, like you said, you know, a lot, a lot of, a lot of these guys have been spoon fed what their training is, you know, so this has been, this has been a, a unique situation for, for a good portion of our team. So what we did was we took a, like an inventory on what, what, what they have with where they are, you know? So most of the guys are from Jersey or PA and we have a guy from Virginia and a guy from California and everybody for the most part, they have jump ropes. They, they obviously have running shoes so they can get out there and run. They can all do push up. They all have, they all have, some sort of pull-up bar. Yep. Um, so, you know, we've been doing a ton of workouts where they, they have uh, a lot of body work. Right. That they're doing with pull-ups, push-ups, sit-ups, yep. uh, hanging abs, you know, all those kind of things. And they're, they're doing, getting a ton of road work in. Yeah. Which, which, um, which is great. You know, it's a totally different, different way of training than, you know, these guys, you know, because the season got cut right at the end. Right. Um, you know, they were going to get back into their basic lifting program. You know, we're going to get back into our lifting program once the season ended, and then we're going to stay off the mat a little bit. So this kind of really kind of forced the issue quickly with that. So, and, you know, some of the guys have more advanced. So some of the guys do have some weight rooms in their in their homes, yeah. their, like little home gyms at their place. So they can, they can do a little bit more. But for the most part, it's kind of been, you know, your basic uh, <clears throat> running, jumping rope, body weight squats, and, push-ups and pull-ups and things like that and then we just constantly we're constantly checking in with them you know just seeing seeing how these guys are doing and who's working and not yeah not even not even like going over workouts or anything like that right. just just checking in at this point just to on a daily basis just to make sure that we're touching base and keeping everybody in the loop they're doing the online learning so that's kind of that's been you know <laughs> That's been a, a challenge because they're doing study study sessions and tutors all over uh, WebEx meetings, and it's it's definitely it's definitely a new a new era for yeah. uh, for this this whole group. But but these guys they're pretty savvy with all that yes. that technology, and and so that's been a good thing because um, I think for for our staff for our staff to just meet is more challenging for than for these guys. These guys, they're, they're on top of that stuff. They've, they've grown up in that whole, uh, system of email and, and text messaging. Right. It's and, easy for them. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they, they've adapted pretty well to it. Nice. Um, we'll talk about this, you know, <clears throat> you've been at multiple colleges. Um, I've been, you know, at two different universities. I've had multiple gym locations. And even though the training is very similar, different places bring me different kids. And so one time you and I had a conversation and you said, you said, Zach, you never know what this kid is going to become. You know, freshman year, a kid could be a mess. He could be an emotional mess. He could be a technical mess. He could, 
be a kid that's barely getting by, and then he could become an All-American senior year. And I was thinking to myself, I, I remember that conversation. I was like, yeah, I remember a kid from Iowa, probably was a teammate of one of the Steiners. He didn't start until his senior year. And then he was his first year varsity. He won the nationals, but he was, you know, he was a one eighteen pounder. So he had to like, you know, they got rid of that weight because it's probably kids cutting like 30 pounds. But, um, you know, where, where did that kind of really hit home for you that it takes time for somebody to turn the corner, you know, um, and that you never know, did a, a certain experience with a wrestler who maybe was struggling and then he became a standout, get you to really learn that lesson. Yeah, I, I would say, you know, it's it's patience. You know, I think when you you have these expectations for for guys, or right? I do, you know, they they come in and you, sure. you expect that they're gonna they're gonna be X, Y, and Z, and then you know it turns out that you know that maybe maybe they're they're better than you thought, or maybe a lot of times, you know, you you, you look at these guys and their performance throughout the year just it isn't it isn't what you you thought it was going to measure up to be. So I think patience is probably the biggest thing. And I, I, an old, an old hockey coach was, mm-hmm. the, was the one who told, told me about that from where you know, Wisconsin. Yeah. Okay. No, 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 no. He's oh. an old, old uh, Michigan hockey coach. Oh, okay. Red Barons, Red, Red Barons. Oh, okay. And he you told me about him. Okay. Yeah. And he, he had, he had said, you know, you, you just, you just never know. You never know with these, these young guys, mm-hmm. you know, what's going to happen. You know, they, they come in and they're immature and then they're totally different by the time they're seniors. Right. You know, and that really, that, that got me thinking about, you, know, <clears throat> you can't just expect guys to, to come in and, and produce right away, you know? So yeah, that's great if that happens and it does happen. And, and, and the, the story you're telling is, um, it's about Jesse Whitmer, you know that that Iowa kid that was eighteen. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and he never he never started. He was never a starter, and and that's. But he that's stuck far, with it. He stuck, he stuck with, with it. it. He stuck with it. Yeah, and, and his coaches and his coaches stuck with him. And you don't you don't <clears> see that very often. You don't even you don't see that where forget about being a national champion. You don't see that where guys stick it out to be just a starter on the team. I think, yeah, yeah. it's, um, and I'm going to be honest with you. Like when it happens, sometimes I, I will question, all right, where did I go wrong? For example, let's say I've trained a kid at my gym. Then he goes to Rutgers or wherever. And, um, he's not starting. And then he drops off the team. He quits or he transfers out. I always, I just like question like where did I, you know, mess up that I didn't teach him that we don't quit. Like if this is where yeah. you committed, you go through. And so, <clears throat> how have you like evolved? You've been coaching at the college level for, uh, is it fifteen years now? It's, yeah, no, it's uh, eighteen years. Okay, wow. All right, eighteen <laughs> years. You know, <clears throat> when you're young. And you're you don't even have your own kids. You coach. I think you coach differently now. You're a father. You look at kids differently. You know, I always say like my early days, I was coaching kids. I basically told them like kill everybody, win. It was that was yeah. like, that was honestly my message. And um, yep. you know, when it hit me the most was when um, I would train this one kid, and then um, he got murdered, and it and then I like was like 
trying to like recollect what I spoke with him about. And I never spoke with him about really like life, you know, yeah. I only, all I was coaching him was to beat everybody to win. And, um, so I just wondered like, how did you start evolving and were there any circumstances in your life that taught you to be like, you know, coach Monica was like a mentor, a second father to you. He, he taught you more about life, not just wrestling. So where, when did you feel like you evolved and became, you know, a coach who you, I don't know what the wording is, but like you evolved, you became a different kind of coach. Yeah. I, I think, you know, and, and that, that story that, that you're telling about that kid that got murdered. I, I, I you know, you think about you know, the, some of the guys that, that I, you know, I, at least I, you know, I, I think about these guys that I've coached and, and, you know, what conversations I had with them to maybe help them get through a tougher time. I think having Ernie, Ernie was, he was a great coach and he, he still is. And he, he knew technique and he knew positions and he knew all that. And that was great. But more, more than anything, him and I had such a great relationship. When I, when I was at some of the toughest moments in my life, he was, he was there for me, you know? So when I decided that I was going to go to Wisconsin, I was with Ernie and Marissa, Ernie and his wife. And, and we went out and we had, we, we had pizza afterwards, you know? And so, you know, he's always been there for me. And I think that, that more than anything was, it was probably why I trusted him and learned so much from him was because, um, we were so close, you know? So I think, you know, taking, taking what he taught me and, and trying to be a coach like he was, I want these guys to really be able to know that, that I have their back and, and have their, I can understand them and I have their best interest in mind, not just about the sport, you know, because like you said, you know, it's easy, it's easy to fall into that trap and be like, I'm going to teach these guys to kill and win. And that's all I care right. about. And, and, and it's easy to be like that because that's, that's, that's what you're, that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to win, you know? And, right. and but I think you, you, you have a deeper relationship when you really care about, the, what the person needs more than what the athlete needs, you know? So when you, when you're taking into account, how, how can I help this person get better at everything? Yeah. That's the sports part of it, but how can I help this person become, um, a better student, a better son. And then as they get older, you know, as my, my, my guys now I'm starting to think, how, how can I help them? You know, cause they're going to, they're going to get married, you know, next you know, five years, probably they're going to have their own kids in the next 10 years, probably. So, you know, how, how can I instill, you know, good, good things in their head so that when they're in those positions that they're being very productive and, and, and great people for, for the world, you know? So I think that's kind of where, where my coaching has shifted as I, as like you said, you know, at first it's about winning and beating everyone and being number one in the country. And of course, that's what I still want. But at the same time, I think the, the best way to get to that point is to build relationships and to have these people understand that I'm in it for more than just winning a match. Right. I think if that makes sense. No, it totally does. And, you know, a father um, reached out to me, you know, uh, senior, just finished, you know, the high school wrestling season. And, um, you know, what you're saying – He's been looked at from different schools, and he says, well, Rutgers is looking at him, and what do you think about Rutgers? And I say, listen, you know, here, let me tell you something. Like, Donnie Pritzloff has probably had many opportunities to take a head job elsewhere. He's staying. 
That means he, that means he's taking care of these kids. Um, and to me, you know, I look at other wrestling coaches also when because we have these seniors looking at schools, and I have to say, well, has that coach stayed there? Like, uh, look, I love what Carrie Colat's doing, and we had a kid that was being called by Campbell and looking at him, and I was so ready to say, dude, that place is killing it. You need to go there. Now Carrie's at Naval Academy, and yeah. it's like I would have been, I would have just, I would have been crushed if I'm telling somebody that's where you need to go, and they trust me, but the coach is is uh, moving around, and uh, you, you know, you mentioned uh, that Ernie's been there for some of the toughest times in your life. What have been some tough times that you'd be, you know, will open to share that were tough to get through that he helped you get through? Well, I remember. I remember being at the old edge in Belleville yep. and, and my dad, my dad and my sister were coming to pick me up and, and they were, I was waiting, I was waiting, I was waiting and they were coming to pick me up and they were going over the Belleville bridge to pick me up and the bridge opened, the bridge opened and, um, they got, they got into a horrible car accident. It was a malfunction with the bridge. And I remember I was waiting, 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 and you know, back then Ernie had multiple classes going. Right. So, so uh, they, my dad and my 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 younger sister get into this accident, and I'm I'm standing outside. I'm a little kid. And I'm waiting for him to pick me up, and he's never how, showing. How old are he's you? He's never showing. How I was by I was nine or ten at the hmm. time. Was, so no cell phones, but maybe there were cell nah, phones back then. Nah, nah. Back then. <laughs> nah it was nineteen eighty. By eighty eight. Oh, eighty eight. No Something cell like phones. Yep, no cell phones. <laughs> and uh, I and Ernie Ernie came down. He left class, came down. He just he, he stood out there with me, you know. And I was just sitting on the curb, and I was, you know, no one no one knew, you know, no one knew what was going to happen because they were medevaced out of there and everything. And and uh, your, your dad and sister were. Yeah. And how did you? Okay, so how did you go home? Well, I just I, I sat there with Ernie for a while until until uh, you know then this, a, a state trooper came and picked me up right to to bring me home because you know my dad was a trooper at the time right. so they got all you know, they had all the the police were involved sure. and and I just I remember you know sitting there with Ernie for for that all that time and uh, and he was just like listen I don't know what's going to happen I don't know I don't know if they're okay but. I'm just gonna. I'm gonna be with you. I'm. I'm gonna be with you here until, until, uh, until we find out. You know. So, wow. yeah, he stayed with me the, the whole time, and and then, um, you know, the, the crazy thing is though, after after that happened, after that happened, I didn't want to go back to the edge. Why? Because you were. I just. I, I just. I, I. I felt like. Um. I was like I was I was scared to go back there and have to wait for someone to pick me up. You know, because I was a little kid, I was like, I, I just didn't want that to have to happen again. Like some something bad happened, just because I was I was so scared of that time. You know, so I did. I stopped going after that. Really? But you told and your dad you don't want to go. Yeah, I just said I'm not going. I don't. I don't want to go anymore. What'd your dad say? He he was okay. He was like, listen, you got it. And and I didn't tell him why I didn't want to go. But he said, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna force you to go. You're playing baseball. You're doing every. You're doing mm-hmm. all these other sports. Whatever you know, whatever you want, whatever you want to do, I support you. So I stopped going, but Ernie, Ernie would write me letters like crazy to come to come back. Handwritten letters, handwritten yeah. letters. 
And what, yeah. what, like, he would send, so postal mail, writing you letters. And yeah. What, what were some letters. of the, what was a memorable letter or note he left you? He, he would say, hey, listen, the club's not the same without you. At that point, they were they were getting ready to switch clubs. So to they, they switched to the to Kenilworth. Yeah. So he would tell me about how the, the club in Kenilworth, Kenilworth was going and how many, how much bigger the room was and how many more guys were there. Um and he 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 was he was writing me letters constantly. That's amazing. To get me to come back, you know, and uh, and I think he he probably knew more than anybody that it was how how hurt I was by the whole situation, you know. Why so, you felt like it was your fault almost? Yeah, I felt like you know, like that I was there. Wait, they're 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 taking their time to come get me, and now right. look look what happened. So I just didn't I didn't like that, you know. I didn't like that feeling. So, and then what made you go back? How long did it take for you to get back to it, the club? It took. It took me probably about, about two years before I went back. Wow. And how was your wrestling when you were away from the club? I mean, you're a young kid, but how did it affect your wrestling? I, I, wasn't, I wasn't progressing like that, like I wanted to. Right. You know, and I think that was one of the, you know, aside from Ernie writing me the letters and, want, and coaching me to come back, um, I think – I, I felt like, you know, this is, this is really my, my favorite sport that I like to do the most. And I, I feel, I feel most passionate about, and I, I'm not doing as well as I think I, I probably could be if I was back going to the edge. Right. Um, fast forward a little bit. We're kind of jumping around. That's how it is with, with my, um, when you were in high school, Donnie, did you have a good high school team? I did, didn't recall if Lynnhurst had like a standout team or not. Is that where you went? Lynnhurst or? Yeah. 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 We, uh, we, we had, we had good individuals, but we, oh, yes. an overall, an overall team was difficult. We had, you know, grow, growing up, I had the, the, the McSweeney brothers, the Sedembrino brothers, um, the Bowdis is Mark, Mark and Dave Bowdis. Uh, so we had, we had a good group of, a core group of like families that, and you know, most, most sports are like that, but I'd say wrestling, you know, specifically when you have like a family of, of kids and, and a bunch of families that are close and they're all involved in the sport, they kind of all like travel together and do all the things together. Um, I think that's important. And that's kind of, that was kind of like the culture of our, our team. You know, it was, it was probably, 15 guys on the whole team and a, bu- a bunch of sets of brothers mm-hmm. that, that came through and you know of the 15 guys there was probably eight solid individuals that were going to make it through the regions and then you know half of those guys were going to make it to the state yes yeah, so probably like a little bit better than what i had in edison in edison we always had like two to four two standout guys then, you know, six very good guys, and then the other six were like, maybe you could count on them. Um, yeah. We're, we're going to close it out here. We'll go like another five minutes. I don't want to crush your time here. Um, what I was thinking about, Donnie, is now we've seen it a lot. We've seen a lot of, you know, kids who go undefeated through high school, <clears throat> and then they can't even make it through a one- or two-year college wrestling program and then we see somebody who you know i don't even maybe barely places in the states and then they become a standout in college have you ever tried to is it like mysteries of the mind have you ever tried to figure out why does this kid stand out like i'll tell you like a couple names off the top of my head like ryan price at lehigh 
took third in the States twice. Then he became, I believe, a two-time All-American. There's kids that are four-time state champs that don't even become All-Americans or don't break into a starting lineup. Or, you know, one of my favorite guys from Rutgers, you know, I, I loved Johnny Van Brill. He, he, I think he was a round away. I don't yeah. even know how he, what his, um, you know, like I said, I don't usually follow the guys unless I'm training them, but I think he may be placed in the States once in high school. I'm not sure. You you obviously know, but like <clears throat> that guy really, like he, he almost, but he really just kept getting better and he was so damn tough. Like just, you know, uh, he was just so damn tough. He was one of my favorite guys to ever work with. And so... What is this? You know, you've worked with guys that have been four-time All-State or two-time state champ or even three-time state champs, and they don't, they don't make All-American or they don't even make the team. What's the? What do you think about when that stuff happens? Yeah, I, I think I think you know that's a good example of Johnny Van Brill. Jo- Johnny Van Brill, his junior year, lost a heartbreaking match to, to not be an All-American. So that that was you know it, that that was very difficult to see that happen, and then. But, but to see his his whole progression, because right. like you said, he was again, like, you know, he's a couple times state place winner. But he he had to work for everything. He yes. he but he the thing the thing with like a guy like like him is everything's been a struggle mm-hmm. in wrestling. So so it's nothing's ever come easy for him. You know, so he's he's already he's conditioned for that. You know, so when when he gets to college and and he's a freshman, and he's he's going through some hard times in the room, and he's getting beat. He's not getting any takedowns, and he's he's struggling. He's he's already been there, right? You know, so so for him, it's it's much easier to to get over. You take a guy that's a four time undefeated guy. He he steps into the college room, and now he starts to experience some adversity, which he's undoubtedly gonna. That could be that might be the first time he's right. ever he's ever experienced that. So I think. That's where a guy like Johnny now he could he could easily throw in the towel to him like ah maybe I'm not cut out for this or he could be like him and, and say nah I'm gonna I'm 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 sticking I'm sticking to this I'm getting a little bit better I can see it every day you know almost almost brainwashing himself saying I'm getting a little bit better I can feel it I'm getting a little better my coaches are working with me they they know I'm getting better so I think it's you know having that strong mind but it's also having that experience where the kid that that comes in with, with uh, kind of you know, not really facing that adversity, not really feeling what it's like to to be down or be on the bottom rung. You know, they have to almost recondition themselves to understand. Like, listen, I'm gonna, I might go in there and take my lumps, but um, I have to, I have to, you know, make sure that yeah, I'm, I'm taking some lumps here and there, but I'm still, I'm still, you know appreciating the small victories and little by little I'm chipping away and, and I'm going to get better and I'm going to be back on top again. So I think it's uh it's a lot of probably self-talk and a lot of, you know, working with yourself and working with your coaches and understanding that, yeah, I'm improving. I, I'm not seeing it like I want to, but I am improving. I am getting better as opposed to just saying, I don't know if I'm cut out for this. I, you know, and there's always going to be doubt. There's always, gonna, there's, there's always going to be doubt and there's always going to be, can I get this done? You know, and I don't care who you are. You could be Jordan Burroughs. When you take the mat, you're always going to have a little bit of doubt. And really? it's just a matter of being able to manage that. I, yeah. I, I truly believe that. Interesting. Um, and it's like the different personalities of kids 
today, I don't know if you feel more on edge today as a coach than you did 10, 15, 18 years ago, meaning, you know, I remember when Coach Goody first got hired at Rutgers, not long after he started, um, we were training his kids at my gym. The kids would come to my gym, uh, but they were normally working out at 6 a.m. and everything seemed very team-oriented. Nobody seemed like they wanted a special treatment, but then some guys started coming in, some guys started transferring in, and then they needed their old club coach to come and like run a practice because they needed him to do his special takedowns. And now I think yeah. it's that's like the norm. And so, you know, we've already mentioned Johnny's name. I try not to mention too many names, but I just remember like a kid showed up late to practice and he said something to the kid. And uh, I only and uh, when I was at Lehigh, there was one guy that said something to a kid who was late. And uh, that was Nate Brown. You know, kid was late and he said something to the kid. And so um, John is the only kid that I recall uh, in, in my time at Rutgers that said something when somebody was late. And so that just shows how rare it is. And now I'm at a high school, you know, 100 to 200 kids a day I train. And when kids come in late, I stop and I say, who wants to say something without me yeah. saying it? And they don't want to say anything. But uh, the way I look at it is like, it, it may or you know people might say it's a too extreme a comparison, but if you're on the SEAL teams, you know now they can't count on you. You're late. They cannot count on you. And so to be a great wrestler, you need great training partners. So you know when you're recruiting kids, I guess there's like so many things now that is like that you're there's a you're taking a chance on things. What are um, some things that like if you're recruiting a kid, highly talented, maybe not so talented, are there certain things that you feel like you're just kind of rolling the dice on? Like, hey, this kid, he may not fit in here. Do you ever feel that way? But you just go for it anyway, because you need, you know, at these bigger schools, you need you need three guys deep. And, and you know, when the dad says to me, oh, man, he'll be third in the lineup. I say, yeah, but somebody might get hurt and the other guy might quit. It happens all the time. When I got to Lehigh, there was a Pennsylvania state champ there who left in the middle of a workout. I thought he had to go to class. The coach told me, he's like, no, he quit on your workout. And um, when I got to Rutgers, kids left, you know, right away. Same thing at Lehigh. And I didn't, I wasn't ready for that. I didn't know that that happened. So now you, you obviously know that these things happen. So I guess it's, it's always a chance. Am I right? Absolutely. Yeah, you're 100% right. There's there's no guarantees that the the way they are in high school or how that, that's going to transfer to to college. You know, and I and I and I think that goes the other way too. There there guys that are late bloomers. Yes. You know, guys that that are in high school are, you know, second or third or fifth in in the state and they're but they continue to work at it and and they're not satisfied. You know, I think that's a big, that's a big piece of it. You, you see kids at the high school States, <clears throat> see seniors this year that are, that are satisfied. Like this is, this is the, the ultimate for me. This is where I want to be. And now, and now, you know, whether or not I'm going on to college, this is, this was the, the, the pinnacle of my career. And it's almost like, uh, you know that's it for them. There's 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 no there's no next step for them. There's no there's no 
what am I, what am I going to do next? What's my next goal? You know? So I think that's as a coach, you know, when you're recruiting guys, you want, you want guys that, yeah, the, the States are very important. You know, that's, that's going to be your senior year. You want to go out on top and be, be a champion and all this, but what's next after that? Do you still have aspirations after that? Because that's, that's the, the, the most important thing to us. Because when you, when you get to us, like you said, you know, yeah, you, you have to be on time. You have to be, you have to be a guy that's going to be accountable to the team. You know, you have to be a guy that's reliable, you know, so you, you can't, you can't show up late. We need you. We need you here on time. We need you. So if you, it's hard to pull that out of a guy that's already like, listen, I, I left it all out there in high school. I don't have anything left, yeah. you know? So I think that's probably, you know, one of the things to, to avoid having those guys on your team and, and everybody, every coach in the country makes mistakes on, on recruits. You know, right. you just do. You, you're, it's, it's not a, it's not a full, full proof system. You know, you're dealing with human beings, so it's never yes. going to be, it's never going to be a hundred percent correct. You know, it's just not that. It's just not possible. But there's certain, there's definitely certain characteristics, characteristics you look at, and and you try to pick the guys that that have those. And the, those being that guys that are still motivated, that still want more, that are that aren't satisfied with where they're at, and I think that's probably the most gratifying thing as a coach to see a kid at the end of the practice, at the end of the workout, whatever, at the end of a strength workout that's wanting to do a little bit more. They they've exhausted themselves, but they they still want a little bit more. <clears throat> having to say, you know what, you're, having to pull that kid back and say, you know, no, you're 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 good, you're good right now, you're you're ready, you know, let, let's. Let's 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 uh, let's pull back right now. Let's 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 save some for tomorrow. You know, so I think that's and that's the dream kid. And and I think, you know, those those kids aren't all out there, but you know, you you can find that and you can you can instill that in guys. You know, so I think that's that's something too, where you know you find find kids that are that are still impressionable. And like you're saying, avoiding the guys that are. I need this. I need this. I need this right. because those guys aren't really open. Those guys aren't open to the new circumstances that they're going to be in, the new situation that they're going to be, the new coaching, the new philosophies that we might be trying to teach them. So, guys that are kind of closed off, you know, they're going to be difficult because they're hard to reach. Yeah, it's it's uh it's tricky. I'm thinking of like so many kids that you could. You're right. It's the only guarantee with a human is there are no guarantees. Yeah. So. Um, let's close out. Here's a question I don't ask too often, but I'm going to ask to you. Um, what's a question that you wish I would have asked you in this interview, but I, I didn't ask you? Oh, a question. Like a story you wish you would have shared or a message you want to get out. Um, we were supposed to talk about our boy, John Paz. He's a, he's a kid that we train at the underground and, uh, Donnie, uh, DeFilippis is like, oh, Pritzloff, best in the business. So, well, let's talk about that real quick. Then maybe okay. a question you're thinking about. So, um, you know, I've, I've known John's dad since I was a teenager, training out of a, a very tough gym. And so I met John Paz Jr. John was taking him to the gym to just watch him. He was like seven years old. He's like, hey, my son down the road will be training with you. You know, he does jujitsu yeah. now. And I always say, like, his dad raised him like a little samurai, just the way, like, you and Glenn were raised, like, young yep. Got involved in judo, jiu-jitsu, all the right environments. Um, also didn't coach jump. You know, he stuck to the underground and stuck to Yale Street Wrestling Club. Um, you know, thoughts on just a kid like that 
coming from also a school, uh, you know, a high school that's not known for, you know, being a standout wrestling team. And he was, I think he's four-time All-State and then, you know, two-time finalist state champ, very special kid, you know, that, what, what do you think of, uh, you know, him being ready for college um, and just recruiting a kid like that? Yeah, I, I, I met John when he was in eighth grade. Yep. I, uh, I had just moved here and my daughters dance with his sisters yes. in the same in the same dance school. So that's I met him. I met his dad. Big John, we call him Big John. Right. So we became we became family friends with them before. Uh, you know, just because we were constantly at the the, the uh, dance school together, and then uh, <clears throat> young big big John and young John would work security at the at the dance recitals and the Nutcracker and everything. So yeah. that's kind of how we we uh, began our relationship, and then obviously you know John has has developed into a total beast. But you know, I will I will say you know his his dad his dad his mom. Donnie Philippus, you and, and Underground Strength, you guys had a plan for him since he was, you know, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, all the way through. And that that developed him into this, you know, he didn't just wake up this year and tech pin the entire state. You know, this right. has been a process. This has been this has been a an eight year process that he's gotten to this point, you know, where where he is right now. And up until him winning the beast. Um, in December, he hadn't he hadn't won a, a national tournament. He hadn't won a big time tournament up till to that that event. So, you know, talk about a kid that's that's been on the the brink of breaking through and staying with it. You know, even though he's had all these these uh, these little setbacks along the way, not even little major setbacks. You know, in Fargo, we, we thought he was going to win it. He didn't get it. He didn't get it done. Um, the states last year. They, they thought he was going to get it done down in AC and he lost to, to a Bergen Catholic kid in the final FOCA. And, you know, so he's had, he's had a lot of these opportunities where he's about to break through, right. but he never gave up on it. He, he always committed himself a hundred percent. And, and then, you know, that as good as anybody, you, you've seen him train, you, you see the kind of effort he puts into it. And he has an unbelievable, unbelievable perspective and an unbelievable story. Where he has he has one eye. Yes, and to battle th- just that adversity alone, to fight through that, and the the, the story behind all that, and and uh, you know, it's just it's an unbelievable story of perseverance. You and, know, in a, the uh, you you saying these things, Donnie, it just reminds me. Like when I always say to parents, I go, you know, the best kids we train. It's not the, just the kid. It's the whole family and support yeah. system. It's yeah. everything. So when a, a family follows the nutrition protocols, the consistency in training, sticking to one coach, you know, what happens is a kid starts to win. Now everybody wants to be kind of in the limelight. And, uh, you know, many years ago, Coach Ethan Reeve, who was a uh, – I always used to share stories with him to you. He reminds me a lot about you, but I remember telling him, you know, he was coach, strength coach for football. And I said, Coach Reed, you need to write a book and do this and that. He goes, Zach, I don't really care who knows what I do. He goes, I only care about these kids that walk through these doors every day. I don't really care to, to be known. And a lot of 
kind of these coaches want to have a piece of the pie. So when parents are like, oh, thanks to you, I always say, actually, no. Like you paid for him. He did the work. You supported everything. And uh, that being said, you know, I know why they chose you because as Coach Monica was like a father to you, I know with – I have kids. If When my kids go to college, if they're getting into the whole sport thing, the way they're going, I need that coach – to also be like the things you're saying, like a father and care about them as a human, you know, it's, yep. uh, to, and I think that's a big, uh, you know, when parents talk to me about you, Donnie, I just want you to know, like, that's what they say. They, they trust you to be the next father figure, you know, no pressure, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I know you get what I'm saying with that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, and I, I, I get that a hundred percent. And I think that's, that's where, for like when you were talking before about recruiting, you know, like the, the Posnanski family, it's it's you're you're recruiting families. You yeah, you're you're getting the kid, and we're gonna get John. Right. But you you get the whole family because because that's that's what it takes. It takes the whole family to get that kid to that point. Yeah, John John's the one that they're writing about the articles about him, and and he's getting all the accolades and everything. But his family has, and he and he has the perspective. And he knows that and yes. he appreciates that, but you know, it's, it's not, it wasn't just him out there. Like you're saying, you know, it, it's not, it's not just the coach that's, that's getting this kid to the next level. You know, it's a lot, there's a lot that goes into it. There's a lot of people that, that need, need to participate. Otherwise there's going to be a chink in the armor somewhere. Yeah. Rob Cole told me the same thing. He said, when he's recruiting a kid, he's recruiting the family. Yeah, said the same thing. So um, let's close it out, man. I I went over the time that I promised you. So uh, no, no, that's, that's all good, man. I'm, I'm I, I I'm trying to think of something that you didn't ask me, but I I feel any uh, stories just, that um, like what if we didn't really talk about your post collegiate. You know, you took third in the freestyle worlds. Um, you were also part of that. Uh, they were doing like the real pro wrestling. It was like that yeah. whole. You and that yeah. whole crew of guys, a bunch of national champs, they were trying to bring wrestling to the forefront before the internet exploded. And I think like flow wrestling really brought wrestling to a um, to another level. But um, any stories that you feel um, you wanted to talk about or a tough person you wrestled that changed you or any any family stuff, anything? Well, I think, you know, I, I think about uh... – growing up and I, I wrestled Joe Heskett mm-hmm. so, so many times I couldn't even, I couldn't even probably before college you know, even. Oh yeah. I didn't know all that. through even f- before we were in high school. Oh my God. Just cause, oh, he was from, he went to Walsh Jesuit, Ohio. Yes. And, um, you know, him, him and I, we, we wrestled so many times growing up, you know, from when we were little kids, then, all through high school, uh, in the high school nationals, I wrestled them in the high school national finals and, and in Fargo, you know, just, you know, cadets back then were in, were in Nebraska. So we were constantly, um, obviously the same size and we were always wrestling each other. We ended up wrestling in college several times and, you know, at the time we were, we were rivals, you know, we were such rivals and then, and then as you get older, I think you realize like I, he needed me and I needed him, you yes. know? So I think, you know, that was something that, 
you know, we wrestled all the way through up until, you know, the, the world, world championships and from 2002 to, to 2007, you know, 2007, he had, he had that, that heart issue and, and he, uh, and he had to retire after the 2007 world championships. But, um, I just, I, I think about, I think about him all the time and, and how he, um, he really pushed me in my wrestling, you know, cause even I remember being home in, in Lyndhurst and thinking about training and going for a run and being at the edge and, and Ernie, Ernie used to always call him Haskett. He, he <laughs> didn't call him for some reason. He, he, he didn't realize it was an E after the H, but right. Ernie would call him Haskett. And, um, I would think about him and talk about him so much, you know, and I think that, you know, sometimes when you're young, you don't realize that, you know, that, that rival really pushed you that much, but I've had a, a chance, you know, later, later in life to him and I became friends and we spoke several times and he's actually, he's going through a hard time right now. He had a stroke Man. and, uh, you know, I think he's, he's fighting through it, but he's, he's battling. So, you know, I think about that and I just, I hope he, I hope he, um, he ends up you know coming out of this and, and doing okay. I, I hope so too. It's a weird that, um, you know, as I was a kid, I used to go to my friend's house up the street cause we didn't have a, a VHS player and I had the Dan Cable competitor Supreme tape. Yeah. Oh yeah. So I'd always go over to my friend's house and be like, can I, can I watch this <laughs> in your house? And I would do like push ups and crunches at somebody else's house while watching, <laughs> you know? And I just think like it was annoying to them, but every, every night I was there to just watch it. It would just pump me up and Dan Gable's words of you got to outwork the competition. And now what's weird is, um, sometimes I speak with guys from that team and they're like, Hey man, it's, it's great seeing what you're doing with those kids. And I always tell them, I go, Hey, a big part of this philosophy is cause I grew up watching you wrestle and I heard you get interviewed and you spoke about yeah. hard work, you know? So I always just, I, I always like sharing that. And, uh, yeah, man, like I, the wrestling community from that era, I think is a has a unique uh, like connection because we couldn't connect easily. <clears throat> we didn't, you know, you had phone or like Coach Monaco sending you letters. It's uh, crazy. So, you know, uh, that's it, man. This has been a great time chatting with you, and um, you know, I, I, uh, it's a real honor because I, I said like, man, I've worked with so many different coaches. Not uh, just at the university level, but all around. And uh, working with you really made it just you made me better. And all the conversations made me think. And, uh, you know, sometimes strength coaches, they get uh, so protective. They're like, well, these sport coaches shouldn't shouldn't be telling us what to do. And I'm like, man, you're, you're not working with the right coaches then. Because I remember we had a conversation once. And uh, we were in the uh, sauna. <laughs> and. Uh, we're like, man, what about just like uh, picking it, pick it up, put it down, Goods, he said. He's like, we should do more of that. And I was like, man, you know what, guys? I think so. I'm going to start doing power cleans after our warm-up. It's going to be like our speed lift. And you guys were like, hey, that's your program. You do what you want. And I was like, no way, man. I think you guys are right. I think we got to, after this gymnastic stuff, where I'm going to start throwing in you know, different position power cleans from – low you know below the knees from the floor above the knees different positions and uh you know every time i spoke with you we just i just got better you know i don't want goodsy to be jealous i love goodsy too 
I don't want him to think he's number two on the list, but I just, you know, you and I always spoke about these, uh, t- you know, the tough stuff. So it just inspired me, you know? Yeah. It's, no, been, I, and, it's great. And I, I, it, it's, it's great when you have coaches that are open, yes. you know, I think, you know, and you were always open to what, what we could do to, what was going to make it more functional? What was really like, like Mr. Monaco always used to talk about what's going to transfer to the match. Transfer, what's going to make these guys better wrestlers. What's gonna? How can we make them more mentally tough? You know, what are some things we could do not not to hurt them right. and physically break them down, but how can we challenge them more so then that translates to them being tougher wrestlers in the third period? You know, and you were always open to that, and you were always thinking about how can we do this, and and that really that helped us, and and I think uh, you know we're still we're still trying to do those same things that we were doing when you were with us. Yeah, it's great. The guys are doing great. I mean, super heartbreaking with this whole yeah. coronavirus thing, but like like wrestlers, we'll we, yep, that's it. We we overcome. So, Donnie, thanks thanks again. Uh, you know, there's going to be parents listening, so if you're a parent with a kid who you're looking at Rutgers, they could still uh, they could just call or text. They go on the website oh, yeah. and do all that stuff and um yeah man it's just great so we're gonna close out and uh just hang tight while i uh, hang this up and we'll chat for a minute all right buddy